Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Whatever time is most appropriate as you are tuning in. Welcome back to a brand new day with Stephanie J. I am certainly happy to have you with me, whatever moment this may be for you. I don't know if it's early in the day. I don't know if you'll hear this in the evening. I don't know if you'll hear this another day, but I'm certainly glad to have this opportunity to speak into your ears what I am sharing in this podcast. And as always, I am so grateful for all of my listeners. I do periodically still go through my analytics and see where my listeners are. And I'm just grateful today. And this is the day, as I always say, well, most of the time, that the Lord has made Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I don't know about you, but I am rejoicing. This is a happy time for me. And I am rejoicing about all of the goodness that I am experiencing at this point in my life. Regardless, the podcast that I just did a few days ago, I titled it Ear Regardless. And I talked about some things in that. And basically what I'm saying is irregardless as to what is going on, I'm still going to live my life. I'm still going to rejoice and I am still going to be happy. I made that choice for myself and I'm happy to say that I have been consistent in carrying out my plans for my life. And so... Before I get back into uh, what I began to talk about in the last episode, I started what I'm entitling a series called Profiles, Women in Need of Healing. And the idea stemmed, um, I wrote a card out in my Bible back on July 14th, 2021, when the idea came to me at 4 a.m. in the morning. And I was just looking through some of the verses detailing some different women's lives in the scriptures. And I just decided that I would want to do this. And I, I really thought that I would do this around some time, you know, last year when I came up with the idea But every time I started toying around with it, I kind of put it off. I just wasn't ready to deal with certain things because I knew that it would touch the surface of some of the issues that I, too, have been dealing with in my life. And, you know, we as women, as I said in a previous episode, we go through a lot. We have a lot of responsibility and many of us deal with have dealt with or dealing with or may someday be dealing with what they term daddy issues. And so I began to talk about that um, a little bit. But before I go forward, let me tell you where my podcast can be heard. A brand new day with Stephanie J on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Spreaker, Pocket Cast, Overcast, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Geo7, 
iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, uh, Pandora, Radio Public, and Deezer. And Reset Today can be heard on YouTube as I no longer record that show. But the archives are there. So, I'm just going to dive right back into it. Last episode, I was talking about Tamar. I read the scripture verses in 2 Samuel 13. And so, I'm not going to read them again. But I talked a little bit about how Tamar was hurt and betrayed by her own uh, they call them half brothers or step brothers. Um, she and Ammon had the same father, but different mothers. And many people are living in situations like that. So you can kind of relate to that. But the story goes that Ammon was sick in love with her, his brother Absalom's sister and their father is king or was king david and so he desired her so that he was just sick with love and then he had a brother a cousin actually i believe jonadab who uh the bible says he was subtle and it reminds me of that description for some other character that we know in the bible that talks about in genesis that he was crafty and subtle hmm anyway um he devised this plan, you know, telling him, well, just tell the king that you're sick and and, you know, have him send Tamar over to your house to feed you and, you know, take care of you or nurse you. And so already it was a plot and he went along with it and he told his father and without question, the king sent for Tamar and told her to go to her brother Ammon. He's sick. Go take care of his brother. Then when he got there, he feigned illness and he laid there and it says when she brought the food to him, he wouldn't even eat it. And then he tells all his servants and everything, you know, everybody just leave. And then he tells his sister, bring the food in the chamber, in the bed chamber where I might eat out of your hands. And she does it. And then he forces himself on her and he rapes his sister, not even heeding to her voice of wisdom. You know, she said, hey, don't do this. Don't do this folly. This is not something that you should do here in Israel. All you have to do is go talk. Look, don't go talk to that. Go talk to the king. Get, ask him for my hand in marriage. You know, he won't withhold me. And the Bible says he wouldn't even hearken. He wouldn't even listen. He was, I guess, at this point. Point. He was so overcome with desire and, you know, how many of us can, I should say, cannot relate to this because we know what it is to desire things, be it good or bad. In fact, this kind of somewhat ties into a class that I'm taking. I'm, I'm taking a financial uh, course online and one of the first things that the instructor started talking about was your desire for finances, your desire for, um, you know, prosperity and wealth and not to be impoverished or in debt. And so he talked about uh, the book that he referred was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Now, that's a book that I have on my li in my library. And then he taught 
a lot from The Richest Man in Babylon, which is also a book that I had in my library. But um, Napoleon Hill talks a lot, not just about riches or wealth, but desire and imagination and planning and all of these uh, tools that we have the mental faculties to use. And so he goes into great detail about how our desires can push us in certain ways, be it good or bad. And so the instructor says, you have to have the desire to come up out of debt. You have to, and that's what will propel you and pretty much force you to, to get a plan of action. We know how, you know, desires for a certain thing, say maybe you want a, a certain car or uh, a certain man or a certain woman or whatever the case may be. We all as humans know that feeling. And sometimes depending on what it is, how many of you, I, I, I used to be a chocoholic. Thank God I'm a recovering chocoholic, but chocolate, chocolate, chocolate was my thing from as early as I can remember. It was chocolate ice cream, chocolate candy bars, chocolate chip cookies. I mean, it used to be so bad. I remember, I mean, this, this is years ago. I used to go to like Walmart or the supermarket, especially Walmart, because, you know, they put all the candy in the checkout aisles. And I went through my Snickers phase and then it was Hershey bars with almond. And funny thing is, I really don't even like nuts, don't like almonds, but I like the Hershey bar with almond. Every single time I go to Walmart, by the time I would get to that checkout, I'd grab a couple of those uh, Hershey bar with almonds. Sometimes I would get the big jumbo, you know, jar uh, bar, you know, the king size bar, whatever. I put them in a bag. By the time I get outside to the car, I don't care if I was walking, if I was you know, taking a bus home, I promise you, by the time I got out of that store, probably halfway to my destination, I remember driving and getting halfway around the corner. By that time, I would have eaten about two or three of those candy bars. I had a desire for chocolate that was insatiable. I I used to eat Hershey Kisses and all kinds of things. So, I know about that. You know about that. Now, on the other hand, on the flip side, some people have desires for some not so good things, drugs and alcohol and things like that. Vices, we call them. If you have a desire for something like that and it's driving you, it's going to make you do all kinds of things until you get that thing that you so desire, and it, it's a terrible thing because I, I watch a neighbor and I've talked about him and maybe two or three podcast episodes that I can remember. This man, he, his his house is behind mine. They're Mexican. Um, his wife has been very sickly through the years. And recently I had a chance to see him. I thought that they had moved because they hadn't been around for several weeks. The house had been vacant, but he's back and just like old time, this man is out in the yard smoking like a chain smoking. Even sometimes if I come to the window, three, four, five o'clock in the morning. So that is a desire that drives him, that nicotine, that taste that he just has to have it around the clock day in and day out. Man, I pray for this man 
so many times, but only he can decide when enough is enough. But anyway, so think about that. He had a desire for his sister that drove him mad. He was sick with love. They call it, you know, passion. He had such passion for his sister that this desire drove him. He had to have her at any cost. And he did something very foolish, but it was very hurtful and very um deceptive. He betrayed her. He betrayed her trust. He lied to his father. I mean, it was a whole lot of stuff at play. And the sad fact and the reality of it, when I read those verses, I never can just look at the character. If it's something that I cannot uh, necessarily relate to my life, I know for a fact that there are many women out here. And unfortunately, there are many men that can relate to these scenarios. I've seen a lot of life stories. Donnie McClurkin is one that comes to mind. I used to have his video. Um, I think it's called from darkness to light when he talks about being molested by an uncle and his son. And so unfortunately it happens and we hear about it. Rape is not something that is secretive. We hear about it all around the news. We see it on television shows. You, you see it in the blogs, you see it. We used to see it in newspapers and it, it's just a prevalent thing thing in our society and it's horrible but just imagine this was her own brother her own blood and many people can relate to that your own blood and so like Tamar after the incident the bible tells us that he hated her exceedingly so after he got what he wanted after that desire was fulfilled and how many times do people find this out after you get that thing that you've been chasing after so long and so hard when you get it you realize that it really didn't satisfy anybody 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 out there <laughs> it, it doesn't satisfy and so he just cast her out he just treated her i don't even want to say the word but y'all know y'all can fill in some adjectives he treated her worse the Bible says he hated her more than the, the love, the feeling that he loved her with. And now she's crying and begging, saying, don't do this to me, brother. This will be even worse than what you just did. Don't just cast me out of here like that. And he just said, be gone and had a servant throw her out and bolt the door. Wow. 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 And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't painful enough, if that wasn't traumatic enough, she goes to her brother Absalom and Absalom is angry and he's feeling her pain. And he's like, OK, sis, don't say anything. Just go to my house. And the Bible says she went to his house desolate where she remains. So now she's in hiding. She's in darkness. She's fulfilled with shame. It says she went on to rip her coat of diverse colors that virgins wore back in that day. It reminds me of the story of somebody else that had a, a colorful coat. That story is famous. Joseph, his father made him a colorful tunic to show that he was a special child and his coat was ripped and devoured but it wasn't it was by his brothers who wanted to pretend that he was dead although they had sold him in slavery but anyway so the bible says she ripped her coat absalom said go on 
Don't say anything. Like, I got you covered, sis. I'll take care of you. And the verse that always tripped me up, I believe, again, I, I turned the page. Uh, it was 23 where it says King David heard all these things and he was wroth. He was angry, but we don't see where he took any action. And as I stated at the end, you will see that it was Absalom that took matters in his own hands to avenge his sister. I guess, I don't know. I don't even know if he knew the, the scriptures that said back then, vengeance is mine, say of the Lord, I will repay. He said, nah, I, I got this. He ended up killing his brother. I don't know that I'm going to go that deep into the scripture, but you can read that for yourself. Samuel, uh, Second Samuel 13. So I always try to put myself in that place like, you know, you would think that daddy would come through. King David should have sent for her. He should have brought her into his kingdom. He should have cared for her. He had maidens and nurses and, you know, he should have had his daughter restored back to health and, and punished Ammon for what he did and whatever the situation, however, it should have played out back in that day. But instead, he did nothing, which I'm sure only added to her pain, added to her scars. And so when you look at that, when I look at that in my own personal life, we see a lot of us females, we have daddy issues. And maybe it wasn't that grave. And I pray that it wasn't. That is not my experience. I have an experience that's a little different, you know, growing up with my dad. And okay, let me just note here. This is the 177th episode. And on these podcasts, I've never really talked too deep about stuff that has happened in my life, except mentioning some things, you know, childhood. This situation that I'm talking about it happened more than 20 years ago. As I stated, my mother died in 1997. My relationship with my father began to change shortly after. It was already, you know, borderline and distance after, you know, the funeral and stuff. But there was an outside force and an outside factor, which is uh, the wife that he married two years after my mother's death. Okay. That was a huge issue and I'm not going to put everything out there, but I am going to talk about it. I'm ready to talk about it. So I talked a little bit, you know, in the previous episode, but, um, what happened, it was like a subtle takeover. You know, she came in and She's just a few months older than I am. I'll put that out there. And she pretended to be a friend, pretended to be someone who had our best interest at heart, you know, with my mother dying and everything like that. And she craftily worked her plan and it worked. And I, I saw a lot of things from the beginning and my father and I, we had a few conversations and he was asking me some questions one day. And, and it was like, 
he was saying to me, like, well, how come you never want to talk to me? How come how come you could talk to her on the phone? And when I come in, you just abruptly get off the phone. That's how he started the conversation. I was like, well, wait a minute. You come in the door and she gets off the phone because she says, OK, your daddy's here. Let me do this. Let me do that. And he said, oh, because I'll walk in the door and I say she said, I say, well, who are you talking to that you're getting off the phone? She said, oh, that was Stephanie Dion. Oh, OK. She didn't want to talk to me. She didn't want to say, how, oh, well, she had to do some things or she had. to. So she was always making excuses. And then he said, oh, OK. He said, I, I thought that was kind of strange because I know that we would always talk or sometimes you call for me. But now all of a sudden I noticed that we're not talking. So as we talked a little bit deeper, some other things came out that I won't mention. And he said, mm hmm. Yeah, it's all starting to make sense now. I, I saw this and I saw that. So then I noticed um, one day I went to the house. You know, I had a key because it was our family home. I actually helped us move into that home, paid the application fee. And, you know, this early 90s, we had come into some accident money. And, you know, my mom was like, well, can you pay this? Can you do this? We have to do that. And so whatever. You know, we lived there. My brother lived there until he was killed. Um, and... She moved in and the first thing that happened was the lock was changed and I I come down one day and my dad comes to the door. He said, oh, I had to I had to work on the lock. Uh, the, the lock was broken. So I changed the lock, but I, I have to get your key made. Well, needless to say, that key never made was made. I didn't worry about it. Um, afterwards, uh, we went back for another visit. And I noticed that all of our pictures were down. My graduation pictures, our diplomas, pictures of my mother, all the family pictures were down. And now sat around the home, pictures of her and him and her and her family, a wedding picture of her and my father and her mother. Now, mind you, my son and daughter were in the wedding as a ring bearer and a flower girl. And I stood with them at this wedding 20 plus years later, I kid you not, I've never even seen the wedding photos. Every time I asked, she only brought a picture of her and my father, her and her mother and my father. I never saw any pictures of us, any pictures of my children. She would always make excuses for why I could not see those pictures. So it didn't take long to figure out what the ammo was. And then an opportune time came where, okay, I'm not going to put it all out there because I never even told my father to this day. I never disclosed certain facts about a situation. And all of this is what she has used to drive that wedge between my father and I and get him where she wanted, which was to herself and away from us, away from his family, because she came from a broken home. Her father remarried and has another child. And, you know, in fact, they live pretty much further in Virginia. And how about she would get my father to take trips to see her family, but bypass us or just come here for a few hours and then go stay with them and have him drive into New York to see her grandfather. Oh, she was working her crafty plan. Okay. And it worked. So she got herself into a situation where she got someone that she was in a relationship with a car. It's really, really foolish thing for her to do. 
And after she got him the car, he took off and got ghosts with the car. She was going to be the one stuck with the car, the bill, you know, everything dealing with the car. And, you know, how was she explaining this to my father? So she called on me. Stephanie Dion, I don't know what to do. I did this because. And I just said, look. This is what I would do if I were in the situation. And I gave her some advice and I told her, you know, as much as you might want to keep it quiet, you're not going to be able to. If he's not willing to bring the car back, you're going to have to get the police involved. You're going to have to file a report. You're going to have to do ABC. And then I told her, I said, and if you don't want to go through those extremes first, I said, leave him a message and tell him Now, all of this is documented. Everything I say, listen. When I speak, I'm speaking first and foremost before heaven's courts. You do know that everything we say is recorded. That's what the Bible tells you. So I'm only going to speak the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Because the Bible says we're going to give an account for every idle word. Even every, any word that you just say in jesting, you're going to give an account. So I'm telling the truth. Okay. So. And I have a file which she probably doesn't even remember or doesn't even know. I have a thick email file of emails going back and forth between she and I for years that I have kept for years just in case I ever needed them. And I never showed this to my father. So long and short of it is I told her, you know, leave him a message and tell him he has X amount of time to get that car back to you if not you will be sending the police to his address da 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 she got the car back and she took care of everything she returned it to um i don't remember how she did that cuz she could not drive to this day i don't think she drives but she got the car back the situation worked out and she was so grateful and at the time i did not have my car i was separated and i was you know, doing everything for my kids. So she sent me an email and said, you know, Stephanie Dion, I am so sorry. If anybody I should have been helping like that, it should have been you. You need a car as much as you travel and blah, blah, blah. So she told me if you come this week, blah, 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 we'll go to the dealership and we will get you a car and all of this. So then that that was supposed to be fine. It worked out. She even brought my dad, got my dad to get involved. I never asked him. But after a couple months, she started to use the car as her pawn. And it wasn't so much aimed at me. She was trying to use it to control my father. And he told her and he told me when I went to visit him at his school where he was working at the time. He said, yeah, she's basically trying to use this car. And I told her, you're not going to control my daughter. You're not going to control me. He said, we don't roll like that. I told him my daughter don't care nothing about that car. So she told me. After, you know, a few months, I want the car back. Bring the car back. And I'm like, you can't even drive. She's like, it doesn't matter. I want the car. Couldn't talk her into anything, out of anything. I said, okay, I'll bring the car. Park the car in front of her door. She kept the car. I don't know how long. She even told me later via email, you know, that my father was driving the car with her. They were driving his car, driving that car, but he would not help pay for it. And she ended up hear me she ended up getting that car repossessed this is almost 20 years ago she got it repossessed i did not have the car she had it to this day this girl is bitter 
and angry with me about something that she's responsible for. And, and initially, she sent me some emails asking me to help pay for it. She got the car from me, and I wasn't thinking too clearly. I remember I sent her a $300 check, and I don't know what after that. But then I got to thinking one day, and I said, wait a minute. I had the car. You wanted the car. You took the car being spiteful. They didn't repossess the car from me. So I explained that to her in the email and she was like, okay, no problem. That's it. And all conversation pretty much ceased after that. I said, whatever happens as a result of it, you know, I said, you and my dad handle it because you told me he was driving the car and et cetera, et cetera. I said, so y'all need to handle that. That's not on me. And she said, okay, no problem. She has carried this bitterness and it has driven a wedge between my father and I. And it's very clear, as I told him the last time we spoke and saw each other was about 10 years ago. My grandmother's funeral. We talked a few times. And after that, it, everything just faded off. Everything just faded out. A lot of changes through the years. And I already knew what the situation was. So I reached out to him a few times. You know, I used to send my father books and checks and all kinds of stuff. And my pastor would tell me, the pastor that I was licensed under first, she would constantly say, sis, why are you doing this stuff? You know, God has delivered you from Egypt, honey, let it go. Why are you, why are you still reaching out and trying to take care of people and trying to help people? You need to worry about just your life and raising your kids and stuff. You know, she was like, they got two incomes coming in the house and blah, blah, blah. And she would try to talk to me. And I didn't, I didn't even really listen to her for a long time. I wish I had of, but I continued to do me, to be me. And I continued to sow seeds and, and whatnot. And so here we are. We hadn't spoken for many years, many, many years. No kind of communication, nothing. Now, he still has a relationship with my daughter to the point where, you know, they talk sometimes and, you know, my oldest son, periodically, they would talk until something happened there where he didn't want him coming around. And I don't even know what all happened, but I was given the information by, you know, my cousin's wife that, you know, how he was being treated when he tried to go see my father or whatever. So this is some of my daddy issue. And what I did was I kind of let things go. My my only thing in dealing with these situations like this, you know, we're we're going to have things go on in relationships. My mother told me one time when I was young, I was having a problem with a girl who in school who just didn't like me for whatever reason. And I hadn't done anything to her. The girl just didn't like me and she used to pick on me and stuff. And my mother said to me one day, she said, these things you're going to have to expect. She said, especially growing up, she said, you're going to learn a lot of things about women. And she was right. She said, everybody is not your friend. They're not going to be your friend. Everybody's not going to like you. She said, you don't have to do anything to them. She said, you're a pretty girl. You got long, pretty hair. That alone, a lot of people are not going to like you. She said, so you just have to do this. If there's a problem and you think you may have done something. She said, try to make it right. She said, if you know that you haven't, leave it alone. And I've kind of gauged certain situations by that. And so I know in this situation and others, I'm not the culprit here. I was not wrong. And I just had to just leave it alone. 
And it hurts because, and many of you can attest, it's like, this is your father. This is, this is not my stepfather. This is my biological father that I don't, there are all kinds of things going on in my life, all kinds of changes, you know, things going on with my children, my kids graduating from college and, you know, all kinds of things that I don't, I can't share with my mother. I can't share with my grandmother. They're not here. My closest aunts, you know, I don't have a godmother or anything like that. I had a good relationship for many years with my mother-in-law who passed uh, a few years ago and then she developed dementia. Whole lot of stuff changed with her. I mean, we we have been through a lot and a lot in in various seasons and you know, I carried this stuff. I carried it for a long time, but I continued to pray for them, especially my father. I, pr- I continued to pray. I pray for her. I'm not going to say all the time. The Bible tells you to pray for those who despitefully use you and things like that. I pray for his household. I pray for them to be kept and things like that. But I just left the situation alone. And a few years ago, we went back home. I had to go back home for a funeral. And then we went back about a month or so later and my husband was just pushing me, pushing me like, you, you need to go see your dad. You need to go see your dad. You need to go. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll stop by. I'll stop by before we go. That was the plan. But then we stopped past, you know, my cousins and was talking to his wife. And I was telling her that, you know, we're, he keeps bugging me. He kept saying, come on, can we go? Can we go? It's getting late. And I was like, he wants me to go see my father. And then she said, are you going to get better treatment than your son did? You know, he did ABC and it, it kind of put those feelings back inside of me. And I started to think, okay, what if I go to the door and he rejects us? Am I ready to deal with that? I don't know what her act is going to be after all these years. And I just kind of told my husband, you know what? I'm not ready. I don't want to do it this way. I think I'd rather call first and see. And and he was like a little disappointed about it, but I just chose not to do it. And I'm kind of glad that I did because, um, back in December, I reached out and I called my dad. Now I had called a few times through the years, but most of the time when I would call the machine would come on and it's always her voice. And I didn't want to leave a message. Because I figured, you know, he might not even get the message anyway. So I did it. And he never reached out to me. He never said to my kids, you know, have your mom call me or, or give me your mom's number or anything like that. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to call and just see. She answered the phone. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, it was hilarious because I could just picture her face. As she's on the phone and I said, um, hi, may I speak to Mr. Kilcrest? I just called his name and she said, who's calling? I said, his daughter. It was a pause and she said, one moment. And she got off the phone. So I was just chuckling to myself. I said, wow. So he got on the phone. He's like, well, hello. Hi, how you doing? And, you know, all excited to talk and everything. And I'm like, well, hi, dad. Happy birthday. I'm thinking about you. I said, you know, picked up the phone to call you a few times. I didn't want to leave a message. I didn't. You know, he's like, OK, all right. Well, you know, I'm glad to hear from you. And hi. so everything was normal. How, how's everything? How's everybody? What's going on? I was like, well, we're out right now. And, you know, we have. So we talked for maybe about 10 minutes. I, he talked to my husband. He talked to my son and. 
you know, he was like, well, thanks so much for thinking about me. Thanks so much for calling me, you know, good to hear your voice and everything. So it was all good. So I told him at the end, I said, look, I said, I'll, you know, reach out to you again. I'll call and just just want to check on you, see how you're doing. You know, we both getting up there in age. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I'm grateful and I'm, I'm glad I tell people, you know, getting old is not a problem for me. And I said, yeah, I feel the same way and blah, blah, blah. He said, all right, well, well, you know, thanks. Good. And I could tell he was genuinely happy. Okay. A few weeks later, I called back and I got the machine and I left them a message And then I called back again and she answered the phone. So this time I said, uh, hi, is my dad available? Pause. One moment. And so I just started chuckling again and I hear her get off the phone. And so she was still on the phone or whatever. And she gets off the phone and she goes, here, it's your daughter. You, you handle this because I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't. I, and I just started, I just started bowling with laughter. So my dad got on the phone and he's, you know, acting like she didn't just say it or he didn't know that I heard or whatever. And he's like, Hey, how you doing? I said, hi, how are you? And he was like, oh, I'm just sitting here, you know, just a little tired and blah, blah, blah. And then he, then the phone cuts off. So I'm like, okay, what's up with that? But I, I wasn't going to call back. It sounded like the phone was just clicked off. So about five minutes later, and I'm driving, I'm on my way to the grocery store. I'm almost there. And so I pull over and my phone rings and he's like, oh, he said, hey, sorry about that. Uh, Listen to this. I was trying to put the phone on speaker. I said, oh, okay." And I guess I hit the wrong button. So we talked for a few minutes and he was like, all right, well, let me, you know, get up here and, and do what I need to do. And. Uh, you know, I'll talk to you. And I said, listen, I said, let me let me just say something to you real quick before you get off the phone. And I just told him, I said, I heard what she said. And this was the situation. I said, yeah, I was chuckling to myself because I said it, it just amazes me that all these years she's still so bitter over this situation. And it's not even something that I've done. He said, mm-hmm. he said, look. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about that later. His, his words. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you about that later. I'll talk to you another time. I said, yeah, okay. I said, but I'm just letting you know. I said, I'm not calling there with any drama. I don't even have any drama. I've got all that stuff out of my life. I don't have any problems with her. That's her issue. I said, all I'm calling for is to see how my father is doing. That's all. He said, okay. All right. Well, all right. I'll, yeah, I'll talk to you. I said, all right. Hung up, didn't think too much about it. I talked to my daughter later on that day and I was telling her how I felt free in the situation, how I'm glad that I handled it different because I could have I could have said a whole lot more to her on that phone. Like, honey, did you forget that I have all these emails? Did you forget the situation? Do you know that I can just send all this stuff to my father and let him know what really happened all these years? You're trying to act like this was on me. I could have said anything. I didn't say a word. I told my daughter, I said, I'm happy about the way that I'm handling this situation and I'm free. I don't feel anything. I don't feel any bad feelings. I don't feel in bondage to it. I'm cool. I'm going to go on regardless as to whatever he decides to do. 
And she said, that's very good, mom. I'm, I'm very happy for you, you know. And so I just let it alone. I prayed about it as I do. And I, I did what I've been doing all these years. I left it in his hands. And so my birthday was January the 22nd. I was out and I'm going to have to wind this down. I probably have to maybe finish up in another episode. I don't want to talk too, too, too much about it because I do want to get to some of these other women and their issues. But this is a daddy issue for me. And this is something that has kept me in bondage, even in my relationship, my marriage, my previous marriage. Um, just a lot of things. Women, you know, we are affected by our daddies. We are affected in our relationships. And it's something that the enemy uses. We have to be so careful because the enemy uses these things. So that's why I'm talking about it because I'm free from all of this and I want other people to get free. There are many areas of my life that could have been a lot happier. I could have done a lot more in certain areas of my life if I wasn't allowing you know, earlier years, this, this thing really used to really dig at me. And so I'm, I'm free of all of this. So now I'm at a place where I can talk about it and it's not bothering me. You know, I'd spoken with my aunt Jackie, my father's sister, several times she reached out and wanted to talk and she was asking me things. And I just told her, I said, look, that situation is not on me. This is, I've reached out to him. And then she said, oh, I, I don't understand. She said, because I say to him sometimes, well, why don't you call Steph? Or why don't you, she said, so I don't know what's going on. I said, oh, I do know what's going on. And you really know. And, you know, she was like, yeah, I know she's this, that, you know, about his wife or whatever. People can see it, but they don't know what's really going on deep down inside, you know. So I just kind of let it go. And he left a brief message, you know, hey, I looked at the calendar. I saw it was your birthday. Happy birthday. Da, 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 da. And I called back shortly after and the machine came on. So I didn't leave a message. So do you know from that day to this day, I've not heard from him again. And I wasn't expecting to because I already knew what the situation was. And you know what I did? I prayed and I'm going to keep it moving. It's not on me. My only thing, and I, I would warn many of you out there, it doesn't help us to hold on to or to allow bitterness and things like that to fester. And you got to find a way to deal with your hurt. I'm not saying that it's not viable. I'm not saying that it's not real, but we cannot continue to hold on to these things. We cannot continue to allow people to make us live substandard or lower level lives than what we're designed and what we're meant to, especially as women. We are God's awesome creation and the enemy has had it out for us ever since the dawn of day way back in the garden with Eve because God told him hey the real battle's going to be between you and the woman not the man her seed and your seed there's a prophecy in Genesis 3 and 15 I did some podcast on the Adam and and then the Eve syndrome and so that war still rages on. And if the enemy can continue to succeed in keeping us as women broken and bruised like Tamar, deceived, destroyed, you had stuff stripped away from you. I'd be all day trying to tell you the things that have happened in my life. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And then it eats away at your self-esteem and you start feeling like, well, I must not really be worth all that because my own daddy doesn't love me or my own 
daddy wasn't there for me or my own daddy didn't speak up for me like King David. Yeah, he was angry, but what did he do about it? So we've been looking to these men, our daddies and our husbands and our mates, like they're supposed to be these giants that can just take it all and do it all. But I'm here to tell you that is really not the case. There's only one daddy. (laughs) I'm so glad I know him. I'm so glad he knows me. There's only one daddy that can help take away the pain. There's only one daddy who will never fail us. There's only one daddy who will never leave or forsake us. And if you don't know him, I hope you get to know him before this is all said and done. I'm telling you, he has truly, truly helped me in these areas. And I'm trying my best to help somebody else. I'll talk to you again soon.